Uh, it is a privilege, it is an honor to be here with you. And so I feel very welcomed and I just, I love, I love Canada. So <laughs> what do you want, you know? <laughs> so without further delay, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12. And as you're making your way there, I would like to start with another verse. You might want to write it down and look at it later. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As you're there in Romans chapter 12, realize that the mindset of the apostle as he's saying these things here is not something that happens by mere human will. In other words, we can't will ourselves into thinking the way that this man is talking. Galatians 2 verse 20 is a spiritual reality for those who are in Christ, those who are Christians. Now get this, it is made a practical reality as a result of the Holy Spirit working in the heart of an individual who is both yielded and willing to follow where the Spirit is leading. The crucified mindset. This is what a sanctified Christian mindset has at its core, to bring glory to God. And you know, as you think about that verse, as I was looking at the verse just staring at it and praying through it, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am stressing this for a reason. We are free to live a life of faith because God loves us. And when you know that the Creator, God loves you, you know that He is everything His Word says He is. He's all-powerful, as we've been learning this weekend. He's all-powerful. You and I can safely place our lives in His hands. We can live a life of faith because He loves us. We know that He loves us because He gave Himself for us. God is not a talker. He doesn't just talk. He demonstrates, doesn't He? He says, I love you and I will show you how I love you. Romans 5 and 8, it says, but God demonstrates his love to us 
And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, just think about that. God takes on flesh, comes here, dies for you and for me. And he says, what? Follow me, right? And you're like, well, what? where are you leading, Lord? Heaven! <laughs> That's our home. That's where we're going. Everything that's here will pass on. We're just using it. We're being good stewards. And God is giving. He's like giving things. Here, take this. Use it for me. And you're like, all right. <laughs> Amen. And so... Galatians 2.20 is the springboard from which we will dive into Romans 12. The, we're, the crucified mindset. We, we, we know that we can live a life of faith. We know that we can uh, uh, live free. We know that God loves us and that he gave himself for us. So we know these things. But that's got to make its way down into these things called our hands and our feet. It's got to become more than just a spiritual truth. It has to become a practical reality, doesn't it? That's what needs to take place. And so looking at Romans chapter 1, we're just going to, or 12, we're just going to be dealing with the two verses there. Notice what it says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, means he's talking to Christians, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Jesus, thank you for this fellowship here. Thank you for these precious people. God, I pray that you would do such a powerful work in this church and so that the world of Canada would know that you are working in their midst. And that you would use every single person in this room for your glory. And yes, Lord, bless those little ones. Bless them, God. That they would see their mom, their dad, their family and friends living the crucified life and they would be so impacted that they would want to do the same. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this building. Thank you for that disco ball. <laughs> Lord, you are God. 
and there is no other. And we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 1, the apostle refers to his audience as saints. In Romans 6, he reminds them that they're sinners. In Romans 12, with a sense of urgency, he calls them to sacrifice. He calls them to sacrifice. You know, I like to be called a saint. I like that. I quite enjoy it, really. You're a saint. Thank you. I don't like to be called a sinner. Yet I don't have a problem realizing that I'm, an, I'm a sinner. And you know, the people around me, they don't have a problem realizing that either. Abraham, you're a sinner. I'm like, really? I'm like, oh, okay. But the one thing that I find myself really struggling with in this particular area, a sinner, a saint, is this area of sacrifice. That is where I struggle with willfully, habitually, eagerly laying down my life as a living sacrifice. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, in John chapter 15, verse 13, no greater love, no greater love does a man have that, that he would lay down his life. That's not easy. I have to draw some attention to this. You know, there's a lot of little ones here. I have a five-year-old daughter. She's teaching me about sacrifice. <laughs> she, she is. She, yeah. Moms, you know. When do you take a nap? Never. You've been up for five years. <laughs> the dad comes home. You know. <laughs> it's just work all day, and then you open the door, and it's, ah. Close it. <laughs> Parents know, you know, you willingly sacrifice, yeah, right, I mean, you have to, you have to. That's what we don't, we don't want this message to be that way. Hey, listen, people, you have to sacrifice to God. No, no, no. All of the parents here, you know, it's like there's times where you're just like, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Bringing this little person into this world, you know. They're there. They're not going anywhere. You got them. <laughs> and then you get some rest, 20 minutes worth of sleep, get your bearings, and you're like, you know, I, I love them. I love them. I'll, I'll do anything for them. You come to your senses. 
you realize that, yeah, this, this is worth it. This is worth it. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to think through who it is you're sacrificing for. Oh, men and women, it's worth it. It's worth it. God is so worth it. He's worth our sacrifice. And so, knowing that we have been crucified with Christ and are called to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, we need to know what that word means. Would you look at your Bibles? Look at that word. It says sacrifice. It is the Greek word thusia. Thusia. That means nothing to most people. Well, you look it up in a Greek lexicon and you know what it says? It, it says the act of sacrificing. Well, that's not helpful to me. I need something more. It's like, I, I need more. So let's go with a fuller definition. Sacrifice, it is the act of giving up something valuable for that which one considers to be of more value or more important than what is given up. Okay? It is the act of giving up something valuable for that which one considers to be of more value, more important than what is given up. Let me ask you a question. What's the most important thing you have in this life, your life, your life. Because if you're not alive, well, your money doesn't matter. <laughs> your car doesn't matter. Nothing matters. You're, you're not alive. <laughs> you're not here. You're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> well, it's true. Your life. God is not asking for something from you. He's asking for you. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, all of me? All of you. Amen. My daughter does that too. And so, living sacrifice, point number one, or big point, the appeal for outward sacrifice. That's the first big heading, the appeal for outward sacrifice. Look at verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your bodies. It is the Greek word soma, soma, bodies. The first thing that we notice is that this is an appeal. The past 11 chapters indicated what is true of us. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We are loved. All this stuff. So the first 11 chapters, I beseech you, therefore, in light of everything that's been said, Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. This is the message of the great apostle. He tells us the indicative. He's indicating something. But then look down at your Bible. 
present your bodies. This is an imperative. Many times when you read the Bible, you'll see the indicative and then the imperative. This is what is truth. This is what you're to do with what is true. And so this is what the apostle is saying to us. It's not really a command and it's not really a suggestion. It's an appeal. Now can you imagine, th think, think for a moment. Paul is saying, God has saved you. God has done all these things. He's forgiven you. He's shed his blood, all this stuff. You know, would you consider giving him the life that you have? You'd be like, yeah, of course. He saved me. It's an appeal. He's not pounding the desk saying, give it up. You belong to God. <laughs> Put on the, the chains and let me stamp you with a number. You know. <laughs> You're in prison now. <laughs> no. This is an appeal. Very kind of God. It's an appeal from the heart of a caring pastor. Praise the Lord, you've got a caring pastor. You do. It's an appeal. With that in mind, the idea of sacrifice, it's not a novelty of Christianity. It's basic to Christianity. When people start talking about sacrifice, it's like what the alphabet is to spelling, sacrifice is to Christianity. It's basic. There's no elite Christian. Oh, I'm, I'm the everyday garden variety Christian. Oh, you're the Christian that sacrifices to the Lord. Mm. Very elite. The special forces Christians. They all sit in the front. So they're not. <laughs> Everyone moves on. <laughs> no. There's no elite Christians. There's no special forces Christians. It's all basic, this idea of sacrifice. You don't become a Christian and then graduate and go through special training and, okay, you're ready to sacrifice. Charge! That's not what happens. Once you become a Christian, your life is to be a living sacrifice. And so, here's the exhortation. The exhortation in this verse, the appeal to sacrifice, get this down. It requires an actual physical response. Meaning, meaning this, it's to be more than just a mental sticky note that's got sacrifice written on it. Remember to sacrifice today. No. Get rid of the mental sticky note. This appeal is an actual 
physical thing we do. This is vital. One commentator said our audible profession as Christians ought to find a bodily expression in this specific action of sacrifice. Our audible profession ought to find a physical expression. What I say, I do. Modify that. What I say, I am. Big difference. Big difference. Sunday morning, this is a sacrifice. No, it's basic. Basic. Basic stuff. Good stuff. Godly stuff. Basic. We're supposed to gather together. And so, I need to hear that. I need to hear that. I need to hear that a lot. Abraham, you need to sacrifice. Yay. That's great. <sighs> what does that look like? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. The word picture for sacrifice has a Jewish flavor. If you look in your Bibles later at Leviticus chapter 1, you start to see what these sacrifices look like. That's what Leviticus talks about. Sacrifices. And the first one is the, the burnt offering. We need to understand this. And I've touched on it already. We are not called to do a sacrifice by shedding animal blood. We are called to be a sacrifice, not of atonement. Not of atonement. Jesus already did that. We are called to sacrifice our lives in response to the sacrifice of Jesus. We see what he did and we respond to that. It's called gratitude. Thankfulness. God, this is what you did for me. You died for me. He didn't die for your stuff. He died for you. One person said, I like that. God has the receipt for your life. You don't. He bought you. Means you belong to him. God, my life is my own. Show me the receipt. <laughs> and you're like, uh... I have it in a folder somewhere. <laughs> no, you don't. He's got it. You and I belong to him. The appeal for sacrifice, let's look at the nature of sacrifice. Verse 1, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Mark out the words, living, holy, and acceptable. Living our sacrifice is threefold. It is to be living, living, meaning it's ongoing. This means that our sacrifice is not just part of our thinking. It is evidenced regularly in our living, in our living. It's not just part of our thinking. It's evidenced in our everyday living. So it's ongoing. When you think a living sacrifice, it's ongoing. 
The next thing is that it's holy. Means that it's undefiled. This means that our sacrifice is to be exclusive. No one else in the world is involved in our relationship with Jesus. That's why they call it a personal relationship. My relationship with Jesus does not involve my wife. It does not involve my child. It involves me. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. So my sacrifice is between God and me and no other. It's undefiled. Means it's exclusive. And so no one else in the world is involved. When you worship God, there's no one else involved in that. You're standing, sitting next to each other. No one else is involved. It's just you and God. You are worshiping God. You're not helping your neighbor worship God. They are worshiping God. And together we are worshiping. But it's individual. Okay? It's individual. We need to know that. Think of it in terms of a good marriage. Now I just lost everyone. Okay. <laughs> a good marriage. Yes, there are good marriages. They actually do exist. All right. There are no perfect marriages. But there are good ones. And the good ones are exclusive and undefiled. Means they don't let anyone else in. One man, one woman, period. That's it. That's it. Marriage. Exclusive. Undefiled. The third thing, it's acceptable, meaning it's worthy. It's worthy. This carries the idea of our sacrifice matching the worth of the one who's receiving it. Have you ever given someone a gift? Right on. <laughs> it's like this. Here, I want to give, I want to give you some, I want to give you a gift. Here's some socks. <laughs> How long are, are these the socks you wanted to give? Yeah, I've been wearing them for three years. They're <laughs> great. You can have them. It's like, what are you doing? Nobody does that. And if you do, you better stop. Don't do that. Here, I bought you. You know, I bought you something to eat and half of it's gone. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Don't do that. That's bad. That's not worthy. Okay. It's funny because I'm thinking of all the things that have been done to me by people. <laughs> Here, Abraham, we, we just wanted to bless you. <laughs> what are you giving me? <laughs> what is this? Here, I, I bought you a new book. I love books. I bought you a new book, and I open it up, and it's highlighted and underlined. It's got their name, and there's pictures in it. I'm like, what are you doing? What? I don't want this. I can't even read it. I can't focus. All of your art and highlights. It's like a coloring book with no pictures. Let me put this in perspective. We are to give God the best part of our lives. That's what I'm getting at. Acceptable. Acceptable. You give God the best part of your life. 
You don't give them your leftovers. Now, listen, parents, I know, I know you're listening. I know you are. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. That's hard, moms. That's hard, dads, to give God your best. It's hard. You know, oh, read the Bible. Must be nice, you know. I don't have time to read my Bible. I've got this. I've got that. Okay. Easy. Grace. Love. Breathe. Okay. God is not saying, whoosh, get those kids in the room. <laughs> you know, open my word or else. That's not what he's doing. Your life, remember, your life is God's. When you and I do what we're supposed to do with our life, moms, when you're being a mom, guess what? You're doing what God wants you to do, okay? You're doing what God wants you to do. Dad, when you're being a dad, okay, you're doing what God wants you to do. When you stop being a mom and you stop being a dad and you start trying to be something else, now we've got a problem. And God will let you know. He will. And how many of you know that God knows how to stop the train on a dime? He can. He'll shut everything down. He'll take the tracks away. <laughs> Whoa. So, I love it. With that in mind, knowing the nature of our sacrifice is to be all three of those things. Are you ready? Here it comes. It's to be immediate and without reservation. It is to be living, holy, and acceptable, and it's to be immediate. It's to be immediate. And so, how can we do this? How can we do this better? For the remainder of our time, I want to talk to you about that. Three things. Number one, instruction. Number two, insight. And number three, impact. Number one, instruction. You see the book that we call the Bible? It's not just to tickle our ears or lighten our spirits. But the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it is for instruction. It is for instruction. The reason pastors across this globe get up and teach this book to Christians is because it gives instruction. We need instruction, don't we? Looking for guidance and wisdom in Scripture is great. That is what we are, that's primary. When you need a decision uh, to, to, to be thought through or made and you, you need help and you're like, God, I just need your insight. I don't know about you, but I don't turn to Leviticus, okay? It's like, gosh, I would Lord, I need some help. I don't turn to Leviticus. I turn to the Proverbs where there's wisdom. When I'm having like a pro, like God, I, I don't really know what to say. I, I, don't, I don't know how to say what I need to say. I, I, I just, I love you, God, but I don't know how to say what I need to say. You know what? I turn to the Psalms. And so the book, the Bible shows me how to live my life. It instructs me on how to be that Living, holy, acceptable, immediate sacrifice. The Bible shows me how to do that. 
And can I just say, when you read the Bible, read it anticipating. But you know what? We talked about books, and, and I would just, I've got two books that I wanted to talk about today, but I'm not going to talk about it. There's just no more time to do that. Afterwards, we, you can ask, but um, if you'd like. But I, I got to say this. I love biographies. I, I love talking with people. And can I say this? Do you know people that have been walking with Jesus for a long time? They've been walking with Jesus like when Moses was here, right? And they've got wisdom. And on top of what, I'm always intrigued by people that have been Christians for longer than I've been alive. My first question is to them is, why do you still follow Jesus? When did you start following and why do you still follow? And that you begin to listen to them talk about how God led them and the instruction and the wisdom and the difficulty that they went through. And you see the faithfulness of God and you begin to see, wow, this is instructive to me. And you begin to take your cues from that wisdom that God has given to the people around you. Oh, it's so important that we remember instruction isn't just in a book, it's in people who are walking around you. Autobiographies. I love autobiographies. Most of the people that I read are in glory now. And I read their books. I love them. The next thing is insight. Some of the most practical advice I've ever received entering the ministry was this. Ministry is not limited to location or duration. Ministry is not limited to location or duration, and ministry is seldom convenient. Seldom convenient. It's, it's work. The Apostle Paul calls it the work of the ministry. Not the vacation of the ministry. It's the work. And I must say, you have a working church here. A working church, and it blesses me. My dad gave me some advice for those that would be preachers. He told me this. You cannot convince people that God is a great God and that you are a great preacher. Abraham, take your pick. Thank you, dad. And he goes, wait, I'm not done. Christ projection must win the day over self-projection. Get yourself out of the way. <laughs> Amen. That was some of the best advice that I ever heard. Thankful to my dad. So you've got instruction. You've got insight. Let me talk to you about impact and influence. Years ago, I worked for an alarm company. It's called ADT. And there was a guy, I was in my 20s. He was in his 40s. And I showed up and I didn't know what I was doing. And he was like, really good at what he did. He was a residential alarm installer. He came up to me. His name was Ted Brooks, Theodore. And he came in. He just looked at me, and he's like, you're the new guy, huh? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. You know? I didn't know what I was doing. And he goes, come on. <laughs> he doesn't even know if I'm a Christian. He goes, come on. And I'm like, where are we going? He goes, to this back room over here. And I'm like, what? What's going to happen? You know? So he comes and it's like a table like this, little round table. And he goes, he sits down and he goes like this. 
with his hands. I'm like, what, what are you doing? He goes, put your hands in mine. I'm like, why? He goes, we're going to pray. I'm like, we're going to what? <laughs> yeah, we're going to pray. I'm like, okay. You know, bypassing the fact that it's awkward to hold hands with a man you just met. <laughs> All right. It's weird. So I did, and he just started praying blessings over me. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> I'm a Christian, by the way. You know, let's throw it out there. <laughs> In case you didn't know. And he's like, yeah, we're good. See you tomorrow. And so I showed up, and he started showing me how to do the job. I got so good at this job that I was actually faster than him. But here's what got me. You didn't earn any money until you actually did work. He knew I was new. He shared his jobs with me until I got on my feet. That's impact. He kept me and my wife afloat. That's influence. And until I was as good as he was, then he's like, cutting you off. <laughs> Go do your thing. Do you understand how, that's called discipleship. At a job. It can be done. Don't ever think that discipleship just takes place in the church. It's everywhere. Remember, ministry, it's not limited to Location, it's everywhere. Powerful. I got three minutes to finish. Here we go. The inward reality of sacrifice. Look at your Bible and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse one dealt with the outward reality. Verse 2 completes the picture as it deals with the inward reality and struggle of the sacrificial life. Listen carefully. Our minds are the control centers for our body. What we do physically is the outworking of what we're thinking inwardly. The scriptures know this and they tell us in Philippians 4 to think worthy thoughts. The scriptures tell us to set our minds on things above Colossians 3, the scriptures tell us, alert us, that our mind is a battleground. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Christian needs to know these things. The mind is not a playground, it's a battleground. And in this area of sacrifice, we need to be ready. And so, he leaves us with two things. Do not conform and be transformed okay do not conform yourselves to this world let me just tell you what this doesn't mean okay it doesn't mean running from the world because you can't because there's nowhere else for you to live <laughs> sorry there's only one world and you can't leave it until you Go to glory. Do not conform has more to do with submitting to God than it does pushing everyone away. Watch, let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. If you run from the world, you're going to have a lot to say, but no one to say it to. If you live like the world, 
You're going to have a lot of people to talk to, but you're not going to have a message of transformation. Okay? That's the truth. Years ago, somebody told me you cannot win people that don't know Jesus by becoming what they are. You cannot win them by becoming what they are. You can't. The transformed life is like a city set on a hill. You can't hide it. It's obvious. Is there a city? Well, there's lights. You can see it. You can't hide it. The only way that it's hidden is if you turn the lights off or if you close your eyes. But that doesn't mean it's not there. We don't want to just be a city. We want to be a city with the lights on. We want everyone, everyone to see. Be transformed. Godliness. Be godly. Godliness is a cooperative activity that we cultivate through spiritual discipline. What is a spiritual discipline? A spiritual discipline is a practice or a habit that turns the heart, the mind, and the soul towards God and his desires. That's what a spiritual discipline is. What is a spiritual discipline? Bible reading, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, journaling. All of those are spiritual disciplines. Okay? All of them. We need to do two things and I'm done. Two things. Number one, we need to take spiritual action. And number two, we need to do some sober reckoning. The most practical spiritual action you and I can do with our body and our mind every day for the rest of our lives is to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. A practice that I've started, not always kept, but a practice that I'm consistent in at least for the most part is that when I wake up, I'm like, God, before my feet even hit the ground, God, this is your day, do what you want. My schedule is open. I've got this, 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 this to do, but just do what you want. Have your way. I'll do what you want. Help me in Jesus' name. And I get up and go. Lay your life down. Spiritual discipline is not meant to make the Christian perfect. It's meant to practically point the Christian towards God. I mean, you get up and you're sitting crisscross applesauce with your Bible. I know I've been around kids too long. Um, sorry. Um, you know, like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm doing my spiritual disciplines, bro. This is what I'm doing. And then I'm going to journal. And then I'm going to pray. And then I'll go to work. Dude, you're going to get fired. <laughs> that's what's going to happen to you. <laughs> You're going to get fired. You can't fire me. I was praising God. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> You'll have more time to praise him. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> For some of you, the most spiritual thing to do is just get to work on time. Right? You, all of you get to work on time. Everyone, that's probably me. In fact, it is. I repent. Sober reckoning. And I'll end with this in, in, in honestly. I want you to think with me about all the decisions that you've made in life that have brought you 
to where you're at. Okay? All the decisions that you made in life, all of them, they all haven't been good decisions. And guess what? They all haven't been bad decisions. Some of them have, have been carnal. Some of them have, have, of them have been spiritual. But all of them have been decisions. And when you look at your life and you begin to see what's going on, where you're at today, is that the result of your life being a living sacrifice? Or is that the result of you trying to keep your life for yourself and do what you want? We need to think about that. We are heaven bound. We are going to heaven, men and women. Nothing can stop that. I'll leave you with a poem and I'm done. I read this poem in somebody's Bible and I memorized it. And I never forgot it. And it's just stuck with me my entire life. I read it when I was 14. And I remember that it, it talked just the theme of what I was going through in my life. I was a brand new believer was, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? And I was thinking about Paul finishing the race and this is how it goes. It says, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me my life as it might have been, and I see how I blocked him here and checked him there and would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my poor Savior's eyes? Grief, though, he loves me still. He would have me rich, but I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a haunted thing down a path I can't retrace. Then my heart will well nigh break with tears I cannot shed. I will cover my face with my empty hands. I will bow my uncrowned head. O Lord, the years that I have left to thee, I give them to thy hand. Take me break me and mold me to the pattern that thou hast planned. Living sacrifice. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Not now. Not ever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Again, Lord, I thank you for these precious people. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on them that you would just continue the good work that you have started and use every single person in this church. And if there's anyone new here, Lord, use them too. Make them part of this body, Lord. God, impact this community impact this community. Lord, pour out your spirit. Gifting your people specifically in areas, Lord, that this community needs. Guide them. Take them by the hand. Show them what to do. And as you bless them, Lord, in this season of blessing, may they hold everything, Lord, with just an open hand using all that you have given them for your glory. Bless them, Lord. Lead them. Grow them. Instruct them, Lord. Oh, God. 
Keep them in the world, but not of it. Keep them clean. Keep them strong. Keep them sober. And destroy the work of the enemy. This is our prayer, God. In Jesus' name, amen.